Bibles now and open to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, we're going to start off in verse 12. We'll get on. I feel like I want to pray again real quick. Let's do that. Lord, thank you for letting us go to Panama, for bringing us home safe. I do pray for Pastor Jose and everyone else down there, Lord, especially for Ethan and Alex and Marin and Danny and Heather, God, that you would just provide for them and work through them this morning. I pray for Pastor Jose that he will proclaim the gospel boldly and clearly, even now, as uh, they're getting ready to meet uh, there an hour behind us uh, in Savannah Grande, Lord. I pray people will be saved at that church today, just as we pray that would happen here. Let your will be done now as we look at your word and uh, help me to say just what matters most and what's going to be most helpful as we go through this, uh, this section of scripture in a, in a shorter period of time than normal. Uh, Lord, thank you again for the opportunity to gather uh, with my brothers and sisters and with those that don't know you yet or that are watching online or that are even here. I pray that today they would give their hearts to you and we would help them and, and bring you glory in it. In Jesus' name, amen. So in John chapter 12, what I want you to understand is that there were people there as Jesus rides in town. It's kind of cool because when I left, where it's going verse by verse, I didn't plan it out this way, but um, it happens to be Palm Sunday. In John chapter 12, verse 12, Jesus rides into town on Palm Sunday. And so that's where we've arrived at in the text. And, um, and so, but even there, like the big focus isn't even on that event that John, John doesn't make that big of a deal of. He mentions it. He notices it because it fulfills prophecy. But what he's going to point out is that, that there were people there at Palm Sunday that, that wanted to recognize Jesus as a certain kind of king, but they didn't want to follow him wherever he led as their king. And that's what really happens. And the reality is, every one of us, we follow who we trust. We follow our king. And so some people, that even people that will come to church, they will say they, they acknowledge Jesus, but they don't really follow Jesus. Like they're just coming to church because they think, well, maybe it'll help me make a sale. Maybe it'll make my marriage better, which I think, I think Jesus can do that and does that. I'm not saying he doesn't. But like we're just coming to him for what we can get from him. I want you to fix these things. And, and they're just trying to basically force Jesus. Saying, Jesus, I want to force you to, um, to you know, I'm, I'm going to give money so you'll give me more money. I want, to, I want to go pray a whole bunch so you'll do this thing and heal this thing or fix this thing. And, and, and really, if he's king, you say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you even if it leads me into a difficult place. Um, so um, it, it's, it's very um, similar to um, being... Like being out there on that job site, like the reason that we were there, um, we were able to go, was because of Alex Jr. and Danny and, and, and Heather and, and Ethan, really. Ethan really put it together, designed the building, welded the building, and, and, and you guys funded it, right? So I could go out there and kind of be forcing and going, look, dude, we need to do it this way, we need to do it this way. But really, I, I don't know, I and mean, we've done a bunch, but I'm like, you're the one in charge. And so he's, I figure airplane mechanic's a pretty good guy to follow. He's going to make sure it's safe. He's going to get us there safe and take care of us. Speaks fluent. He's born in Mexico, missionary parents, and speaks fluent Spanish. You can trust him. So do you, you just be in charge. I'll just follow. So when I'm welding, and he, and he comes and checks on it and looks at it and goes, yeah, I better take back over. Like, I could have probably pushed back and gone, no, 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 dude, I, I need to do this. I need, and we never finish, and the thing might have fallen apart, right? But if I'm going to follow him, if he says, Mike, you're fired from welding, you go back to holding, then I go back to holding, right, if, if I'm really following him. But some of us, Jesus comes along and says, you know, you don't need to be doing this. You need to be doing something else. And we're like, well, Lord, I, I'm only following you because I get to do this. And if you don't let this happen, then I'm out. And, it, it, and, and some of us, even right now, you're having a crisis of faith because it's like it's your mom that's sick, and you're praying God heal her, and it's like he hasn't healed her yet. What's going on here? Or your marriage is the one that has the problem. We're saying, Lord, I don't understand why it's not being fixed quicker. I'm praying. I'm trying to forgive. We're working on it, and it's still hard. Jesus, what's going on? 
or my kids, my kids are, are wandering off and I don't like the way that they're going and it makes it uncomfortable and I'm, my heart is breaking for them. And Jesus, why don't you just save them? Why don't you just fix it right now? And he says, I'm going to wait. I have a different plan. I've got a different time. And in those times, in fact, as a former atheist, I can tell you there are reasons. I think most people that don't acknowledge God, the reason they don't, because I think we're born with a God-shaped hole. I think we're born knowing that God is real. And if you get to the place in your life where you say there is no such thing as God, I bet we could talk to you long enough, we'd find out that something has happened in your life that you didn't understand. And you thought, if God is good and God loves me, then he wouldn't let that happen. If that's the kind of king he is, I don't want to follow him. I'm not going with that. And there are Christians that will do that. There are not Christians. There are people that say they're Christians, people that come to church, and they're coming to church just saying, Jesus, I'm going to do church as long as you do this. It's like this foxhole Christian. I've got to get me out of this situation, then I'll follow you. And what we're really serving, our king is our comfort. Our king is what we, what we live for. And if your king is Jesus, then you're willing to lay your life down. But if your king is something besides Jesus, you're going to use Jesus to get stuff. You're going to use Jesus to fix other things. Not that he won't do those. He will. I mean, your marriage, I think, if you both follow and love Jesus, it'll be better than if you don't. But it doesn't mean it's going to be problem-free. I think your finances are going to be pretty good if you follow biblical principles and you're generous and you honor God. But it, not necessarily. The same, the same storms will come. The same difficulties come. And so, they, so, so in fact, if you're really generous, then you're, you're going to have, you're going to, there are going to be things people look at you and go, why, why are you sacrificing for these people you'll never meet. Why are you, why are you giving like that? Why, and so they're, they're, you're going to have issues. But if, if you're really following Jesus, you're really following Jesus, you just do what he says, right? We want, we want to follow him. And, but we, we get to the place sometimes where Jesus tells us to do something that we don't really want to do, right? It's like the doctor that says, if you want low blood pressure, you need to lay off the bacon. Well, I want the low blood pressure, but I don't want to lay off the bacon, right? I, 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 don't, I, don't, want, I don't want to do what the doctor said. And we say, Jesus, I want forgiveness, I want to follow you. I want you to be my king. I want you to make sure I get to heaven. But I really don't want to, I really don't want to follow. I don't, I, don't, I don't want you to run the fit show. I want to run the show and just tell you what to do. See, some people just want Jesus to fix their lives right now. They're not really thinking about the future. And I think that's what's going on here. And in fact, that's what we, we understand is going on in verse 12. So the next day, this is the day after he is, he's, he's, they've celebrated Jesus in Bethany. The fact that he raised Lazarus from the dead. They had that amazing dinner. And, and the Pharisees see all these people coming to follow Jesus because he's done this amazing thing. He's beaten death. He's coming into town from Bethany. And we think these people come out to meet him. It's, it's, it's just before Passover, the Sunday before Passover. And a large crowd that had come to the feast, they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. And so he's on his, on his way there. In fact, if we're going to get through this, I'm going to put these away. And um, here we go. And so here we go. So Jesus... There's a large crowd of the Jews. They learned that Jesus was there. And they came not only account of him, but also to see Lazarus, who he raised from the dead. Now, what they're thinking is, a lot of them are, they're thinking he is going to kick out Rome. They're occupied by Rome. They're under Roman rule. And they want to be free from this. And when they see the Messiah coming, they're thinking, you're going to set us free. You're going to fix our political mess. You're going to fix, you're going to make our life better right now. And in fact, so some of these people that are going to, in a moment, shout, Hosanna, we're glad that you're here. We're going to throw these, they're going to celebrate this. Probably some of the same people just a few days later are going to shout, crucify him. So they, 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 don't, they don't get from Jesus what they want from Jesus, so they reject Jesus. And so that's what we have to be careful that we don't want to be like that. We don't want to do that. We don't want to try to force Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. But as he's coming to town, look at verse 13. They took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. They were quoting Psalm 118, 25, and 26. 
And actually, there's only two places, like in the New Testament, where they talk about palm branches, and one of them is here, and the other one is in Revelation 7, where really he's coming back as, 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 as king to take kind of fix the political problem then. But, but where he comes into town now, when they use palm branches, we see it as just this picture, but to them it was, it was really symbolic that they thought that he was going to be their political messiah. You see, a few years before this, there was a, a revolt. They called it the Maccabean Revolt. And when they won, when they got, got out of Rome, well, they, Syrian rule, they got out of rule, they won that. They celebrated by taking palm branches, which had been part of this celebration, and they really identified that with our victory. They celebrated the Maccabean victory by saying, with all these palm branches, they said, we, we, we've won. We're free now. In fact, a little bit later, after this, about 40 years after this, Jesus... Um, or 30 years, 30 years after this, yeah, 34 years after this, the, uh, the, the Israelites, Jewish, the Jewish people rose up and, and broke free for a very brief period of time from Roman rule, about A.D. 69, A.D. 70. And in that brief period of time, they were able to mint their own coins. And when they minted their own coins, they put palm branches and palm fronds on the back of it, showing that, hey, we've, we're free, we won. That, that was like your victory thing. That was like your Super Bowl trophy. It was like, we won. We are the champions of the world. And so they, that was their whole thing. When, they, when you saw palm branches, you're, you're, you're thinking, you rocked them, right? We won. And so when they start throwing these things down, when they start throwing palm branches down, everybody around them sees, wait, 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 something, something, this is getting out of hand. The Pharisees are going, wait, Rome is not going to put up with this. We're going to lose our position of power. This is not good. And what's different about what Jesus does here when he comes into town and lets them say this, in fact, in, in other gospel accounts, the Pharisees tried to quiet the people and Jesus says, no, listen, let them talk. If they don't, if they don't speak, rocks will cry out. He's, he's fulfilling prophecy over and over. Every other time we've seen in John where, where Jesus heals someone, when they start to make him king, he says, no, no, be quiet. You know, and he, he leaves, he doesn't let them do that. But here he just receives it. What he's doing is he's forcing the Pharisees' hand. They didn't want to kill him at Passover. Because everybody, there's probably two million people in town at this time, according to the census stuff that we have from history. And he comes into town and, and they're saying, listen, we have to do something. He's, he forces their hand. And so, so, so when he comes in, and they have the palm trees, and they go out to meet him. Um, it's pretty amazing. He's actually riding in to town on a very certain day. In fact, you see prophecy fulfilled in verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And right there, he's fulfilling prophecy. If you want to look it up later, it's written in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. So this is the Messiah. He's clearly the Messiah. He's the promised one. In fact, if you want to dig deeper into prophecy, it's kind of neat. If you go home and you read in Daniel chapter 9, you'll find that, that, that it was prophesied that the Messiah was going to come back and return to Jerusalem on a specific day. That specific day was, the way Daniel writes it, it comes out to be um, um, 69 weeks of years. So 69 times 7, 483 years from the day of the decree uh, to rebuild Jerusalem, which Artaxerxes gave in, um, I wrote down the date, in 445 B.C. In fact, one guy named Robert Anderson has studied this and he decided, he f figured out that Artaxerxes' decree was actually on March 4th, 445 B.C. And he also figured at this time, Jewish people were using a calendar that had 360 days in it. And so when you get to get, if you go back and you take 69 years from March 4th, then April 6, 32 AD, the exact day that is the exact day that Jesus rides into town 
on this donkey. It was just kind of cool to see that. So that's like 400 years. I mean, he's, come, he's doing it exactly according to God's plan. And he comes in here on this very day, prophesied 400 years, riding on a, on a, a little baby donkey, which is kind of, you wouldn't think kings coming to town on a donkey. But when you read the Old Testament, and in fact what Zechariah is talking about, when the, the king comes in, the Messiah comes in on a donkey, he's proclaiming peace. They want him coming in to conquer and the same author, John, one of Jesus' best friends, at the end of his life, he gets this vision of what it's going to be like at the end of the days. It's coming closer and closer every day. And in Revelation 19, Jesus comes in the way that a conquering king would come in. He comes in on a white horse. He comes in to, to really make everything right. And this day, he's going to make everything right, but not immediately in their political context. And they don't want that. They want to force their king to make their life better right now. And they're, they're not thinking about the problem that they have a problem of sin with their, their, their God and they need their sin to be paid for. But Jesus is saying, I'm coming to town in peace, riding on a donkey's colt. In fact, you see John's firsthand account. It's kind of cool. It's like you break the fourth wall in verse 16. He says, his disciples did not understand these things at first because he's one of them. John was there. He doesn't understand what's going on. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. He says, now it makes perfect sense. See, verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, they continued to bear witness. They kept talking about how this guy raised Lazarus from the dead. Surely he can take care of Rome. But the reason why the crowd went to meet him was they had heard he'd done this sign. They didn't really want him to be their king. They just wanted it for the show. They wanted to fix things right now in their way. So the Pharisees, though, they see all of this fervor coming up and they get worried. And they said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. When they say you, they're talking to themselves. We've been trying to put, they've been trying to force Jesus to go away, to put him down, to get him out of there. And it's not working. So they're talking to each other. They say, we're gaining nothing. The whole world has gone after him. And this is another time where the Pharisees are saying more than they know. Do you remember a couple weeks ago or a few weeks back, the high priest said, it's better for you that one man die for the nation. And he didn't, he didn't even know what he was saying. That's what they're saying there. And what's so cool about this verse, I love this little part of the text. I wish we had more time. But he says, the world has gone after him. The very next verse, the Holy Spirit inspires John to write that the world that is outside of Judaism, the world that is not Israel, is coming to him. Look at the very next verse, verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. And they came to Philip. Now, the Greeks are people that weren't Jewish. That's people like us, that's if you, unless you're Jewish. And so, so that aren't, they aren't ethnically Jewish. I'm an outsider. But it says at this point, these people come to Jesus. And when they come to Jesus, they want to find him. It's kind of cool because they go to see Philip. And they, they see, so some people want to force Jesus to, 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 to do what they want him to do. And some people that are following Jesus, they want to find people who haven't found Jesus and bring them to Jesus. That's what I want us to do. So I want you to do this week. Find people that don't know Jesus and tell them about Jesus. Find people that don't know Jesus, and you invite them to church next Sunday, and they'll come to church next Sunday for the most part. So, so bring them, and come early, and maybe give up your seat for them. We'll see, or come to the 8 o'clock service, and then hang out. But, the, but it's, it's, it's going to be amazing. Pray for that. So we want to keep finding people, bringing them to Jesus, because that's what Andrew and Philip do. So they, they come to Philip, who was from Beth Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, and they said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went, and he told Andrew... Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. I love this. Andrew, we only see Andrew doing something three times in, in, in the New Testament. We see his name listed a couple of other times, but just in a list of names. 
Three times he's doing something. The very first time you see him is when he goes and he gets his brother Peter. And he brings his brother Peter to Jesus. See, there's not a sermon recorded by Andrew. But on the day of Pentecost, this guy that he brought to Jesus is preaching, named Peter. And he writes two books in the New Testament. The next time we see Peter, there, there's 5,000 people that need food. And they don't have anything to do. And Philip is even involved in it. And they don't know what to do. And they find this guy, this little kid that has five loaves and two fish. And Andrew goes and gets that boy and he brings him to Jesus. And as a result of Andrew bringing that boy to Jesus, he couldn't multiply the food, but all those people were fed. And then here, there are these Greeks that come into town and they're looking for Jesus. And when they find Andrew, Andrew brings them to Jesus. That's all they need to do. We just be the people that just bring people to Jesus. We can't fix anyone, but Jesus can. Let's show them who he is. Let's talk about him. Let's point people to him. One thing that tr church tradition tells us, we don't have it in the Bible, so it's a little bit sketchy, so I'm hesitant to share stuff like that. But, but it, I think it's possible, even probable because tradition has it as a reason, there's a reason it's there, is there's only one, um, as far as we know, one Gentile um, author of a book in the New Testament. You know what book that is? It's Bible class time. There's one author that wasn't Jewish. Who was it? Who was it? Eighth grade, for eighth grade Bible class. It's Luke. Yeah, Luke. There you go. So, so, so Luke... And, and what tradition says is that Luke was among these Greeks that Andrew brings to Jesus. It's kind of cool, but it's just another side thing. He may not have been. But, um, so he goes there, and they go to tell Jesus. Now, apparently, though, at this moment, as they bring him, they've asked him some questions. It doesn't record. John doesn't record what their conversation is. But what he does say is this. Look at this, and we're almost done. Jesus answered them. So they had to ask a question. He answered them. The hour has come. Now that the Gentiles are here, now that it's not just a Jewish thing, but it's something that that people that live not outside of Israel, people that will live one day, they didn't even know we existed, God did, but they didn't know St. Augustine existed, but that people in St. Augustine, they see it. Now the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now when they heard glorified, they're thinking that means he's going to sit on a throne right now and kick Rome out. But when he says glorified, we'll see more next week, he meant he's going to go on a cross and suffer and die and be buried and then rise again ultimately. But they're seeing it as something different because they thought their biggest problem was Rome when the biggest problem was really their sin between them and the Father. But Jesus points this out and he says, listen, now it's time for the Son of Man, which is what the Messiah is called in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. And now he says, now that all are in, all are welcome, it's wide open to anyone that will trust Jesus. He says, it's time now. In fact, he, he explicitly spells it out in verse 24. I'm not coming to sit on a throne right now and kick out Rome, but truly, truly, I say to you, verse 24, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and falls in the earth and it dies, it remains alone. He uses this illustration, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. So if you plant a seed, what happens is the outer shell of that seed has to decompose or die or crack if it's a peach seed or whatever it is. But even last night, like we're sitting out there in the... Um, I was sitting in the backyard, and my daughter, my youngest daughter, was going around planting corn because I have corn that I feed the deer and bird seed, I guess. And so now, apparently, I have a lot of corn planted all throughout my yard. So she's been, she's been planting this corn. But I, the way I understand it, I'm not a botanist, but what has to happen is the outer shell of that has to crack or has to, you have to get something going on there. If I could leave that stuff in my garage in the, in the deer feed bag forever, almost, and it would just stay there. But once you put it in there and it starts to decompose, then life comes. And, if you, and then once that happens, then in every seed, really, there's... There's millions of other seeds, ultimately, right? It could turn into, it could turn into more and more crops because you take those seeds and then replant them. And, and what, that's what Jesus is saying. If this is really going to work, if I'm really going to be your king, I'm going to have to die. But when I die, 
See, if he had kicked out Rome right then, you'd have this blip in history where, where Israel was free for a little while. Who knows what it would look like now? It would have fixed their immediate problem. But we would not have had someone die for our sin. And so now in, in 2021, we've still got a problem. But because he does that, today there are people here, there are people in Panama, there are people in China, there are people in Russia, there are people all over the world that are worshiping Jesus. And this, is, this thing has grown and it's bigger than they ever imagined because he was willing to die. But not only that, so th- and that's, that's really the heart of this that I want to make sure you get if you come to church here or you're watching online. The biggest thing about this, it's not, we're not a bunch of people getting together saying we're going to be good and then God's going to love us. We're so sinful, we needed someone to die for our sin because our sin deserved death. So Jesus died for sinners. And if you will turn from your sin and you will trust him, believing that his death on the cross pays for your sin and that he rose from the dead, you can be forgiven. That's what this whole thing's about. Now, 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 once you get that, you're called to follow him. And make sure you get this right. Because he doesn't say, if you sacrifice for me, then I will forgive you. But if you are forgiven, you're supposed to follow him. And if you follow him, because now, and again, I want to be clear on this. Jesus' death was way more than an example for us. There are a lot of people that will go kind of that way and they'll say, oh, it's just a good example how we're supposed to be incarnational and, and all this stuff, and we can talk about more of that later. But, but it's not just an example because, one, your death would never pay for someone else's sin. But ultimately, it, it's, it's more than an example, but it is an example. In fact, that's what Jesus says. Look what he says in the next verse. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He's saying, I'm going to lay my life down and you need to lay your life down as well. Be willing to sacrifice to serve and maybe even to die. Verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. It's interesting. He doesn't say he might follow me sometimes and sometimes not follow me. And we do that. We stumble. I'm not saying that. But there is, there's a trajectory of your life and your heart that you want to follow Jesus if you know him. And you, you, you typically do. He's saying, if, if anyone knows me and serves me, he's going to follow me. And, and where is he going when he says this? He's going to the cross. He's not going to comfort. He's going to sacrifice. He says, if you, if you love me, if you serve me, you're going to follow me so that where I am, there will my servant be also just before he goes to the cross. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So John followed him. And John ends up spending his life, at the end of his life in exile and being tortured. But you know where John is today? He's pretty well off. Some of these political people that, that wanted him to fix things right now and he didn't and they rejected him because he didn't make things look the way he wanted them to look right then because or maybe, maybe the people that came to Jesus said, Jesus, if you'll fix my family, then I'll follow you. And he didn't fix it so they didn't follow him. Everybody, everyone that was here, they are still in existence. They've died, but their soul still exists. And the ones that follow Jesus, they're forgiven and they're, they're okay. And the ones that didn't, they're still they're experiencing the wrath of God right now, which will be true of you and of me and of everyone you know. That if you will follow Jesus, if you'll trust Jesus, where he is, there you will be also. And in a thousand years, you'll be okay. If you will not trust Jesus, in a thousand years, it's going to be worse than anything you'll ever experience here. And it'll be that way for eternity. You need to trust him. Give your heart to him today. Follow him. You follow your king. You don't force your king. We don't say, Jesus, I'll follow you as long as you don't do this or you don't do that, right? We want to, we, we, we know we know that what it means, and what I want you to understand, what it means to follow Jesus is not, there's no conditions on it, right? I don't know why this wasn't in the notes. It's, it's, meatloaf had something right. Well, he had something wrong. I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. When it comes to Jesus, you say, I'll do anything for you. You're my king. And there's no, I won't do that. Lord, if you call me to do it, I'm willing to lay my life down and follow you the rest of my life. And if that means I have to sacrifice whatever, that's where we're going to go. And so that, that means 
There's so much more to this, but we need to go. So here's how we'll wrap up. So for you, for you, for those of you that don't know Jesus, have you surrendered your heart to him? Do you really know him? Do you really trust him? If not, I want to invite you in a moment to do that. And those of us that know him, what's going on in your life that you're saying, God, if you really love me, if you're really in control, if you did this, then this wouldn't be happening. And you don't do this one thing. Like, don't ever get there with God. God, you have to do this or I'm not going to follow you. Because he's God and we're not. And he's a bigger plan than we understand. You can trust him. And respond to that situation, not in a way that says, oh, I'm just going to come in. I've got to force it to happen and make it happen. You know, Lord, I want to do what you've called me to do. I want to respond in the right way. And I'm going to trust you with it. And so even if it doesn't work out the way that I want it to in this moment, I trust, God, that you're going to make it right one day. And I'm, I'm going to show, I'm going to keep bringing people to you no matter what happens. I'm going to keep bringing people to you. That's what I want us to do. Let's do that. Let's pray together real quick. Will you bow your head with me? If you don't know Jesus right now, I want to invite you to give your heart to him. Just tell him. Say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. I want to trust you. So there's not like a special class you go to or anything like that. It's just, it's just if you are aware that God is God and you're not, and you're aware that your sin is a problem between you and him and you want to be forgiven, you need to understand that Jesus died for sinners because your sin deserves death. And if you understand that, and you're willing to turn and trust him, you can do that right where you sit. You don't have to do anything else. Just do business with him right where you are. Say, Lord, I, I just want to surrender to you. Lord, I, I've sinned against you. I've broken your law. I believe that Jesus died for my sin and rose from the dead. Because he did that, I want to turn from my sin, Jesus, right now. I'm turning from my sin. I'm trusting you. Here's my heart. I surrender. Just do that. Just say that in your own words to him right now. Those of you that know Jesus, is there an area of your life there's something going on right now that you've been trying to force? Why don't you talk to your king about that and just put that in his hand and say, Lord, here it is. I, I just want to respond however you want me to respond. I'm going to trust you with the outcome. I'm going to follow you. I'm not going to try to force it. Where you lead, I'll, I'll go. I want to lay my life down for you. And most of us right now, we're not being called to Mars. It may come that we'll be martyrs. But for our day-to-day, that means we say, Lord, okay, here's, I'm not just going to operate in my flesh. I'm not just going to do what might be the most common reaction. But I want to react to these situations in a way that will bring you glory. I want to lay down. I'm willing to sacrifice for you. Father, I pray that we would be people that are are. are are following you. We're not trying to force you. We would be people that people can see what it looks like to trust you with the outcome of every situation in our lives, that we would be people like Andrew that are bringing people to you all the time. Because only you can change hearts, Lord. We can't force anyone to change even God. And so, Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to, when you ride into town in our lives, we want to say Hosanna. We want to say save now, which is what that word means. We do say that. And we pray that you would, you would fix and heal marriages and heal the people we've been praying for and work in our finances. Lord, we're going to leave them with you and trust you with that. So whatever you decide to do, Lord, we want to follow you and bring you glory. Help us live that out in our lives today. Lord, you're good. You're great. We love you. Thank you for giving us this time together. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.